15th of 2007, decided to, to leave Texas and to go and to plant a church in the city of, of Atlanta. And there was about 25 of us at the time that made that commitment because we just wanted to see life change take place in the city. We wanted to see the gospel which has transformed us for the purpose in, you know, to, to go to a city and do that in a way that is both relevant and sound. You know, and so since, since December 15th of 2007, you know, I've been, we've been praying, been planning and processing what that looks like. You know, and, and the life and the journey of a church planner, it is. It's, it's hard because in the midst of doing that, you know, as I'm going and as I'm moving to Atlanta, you know, one of the things that you do is it's like you go and you visit other churches because you don't have a church home yet. You don't have anything because that's what you're there to do, to start a church. And so going there, it really has been for us a lot of times, you know, disheartening because it was just like, Lord, where are you? Where's your glory being shown off? You know, where is that happening? Where is that taking place? And we've been going from place to place trying to do that. And so for Angela and myself, we're excited to be here. Because, it, you know, it, this is home. This, like, being here at Epiphany and just celebrating you with the worship and celebrating you is just like, this is what we desire to be. This is what we desire to do in the city of Atlanta. Something that this, a group of people authentically connecting around the, the blueprint of Scripture. You know, and so we're excited about, you know, the, the influence that you guys have had on us, the, the, the support that you've given us, the prayers that you've given us for the glory of God. Because, you know, to see where you guys are at three years from now, and for us, we haven't even launched yet. We just had our first kind of a preview service a few weeks ago, but we haven't launched yet. We're actually going to be launching in the next couple of months, and, but we're excited to see that it can happen. It can happen where people can authentically connect around the blueprint of scriptures, where people can show off the glory of God, not being about us, but being about him, but still do it in a way that God can be glorified and that we can be edified. And that's our heart. That's our passion. So we're excited. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support and for your prayers. And I'm looking forward to the many years of, of linking arms with you in the future. Like I said, this is my wife, Angie. I know Mace introduced that, Pastor E introduced, but we're here. I know we're celebrating at Epiphany the three-year anniversary. This is actually our anniversary weekend as well. We're, we've celebrated eight years of marriage, and so we're excited. Excited, yeah, we have... Um, Basically, we're married. We have four kids. Four kids. Yeah, we work. We work fast. We work fast. We start. So we have three girls and a boy. We have four, uh, a six-year-old girl named Trinity, a five-year-old daughter, um, Jade, a three-year-old daughter, Briaya. And then you know, I got my boy. The fourth is a DJ, the Hottie Junior. So, and he's two years old. So we're excited, you know, just to, like I said, link up with you. Um, before, but let's go before the Lord and pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we do just want to take this time just to give you honor because you're worthy. Lord, thank you for the person and work of your son Jesus who died on the cross for us. Lord, that we might come together and that we might gather for the purpose of giving you honor. Thank you, Lord, for epiphany, Lord, and just showing off your glory for these last three years, Lord, and that we pray for many, many, many more. 
Father, we know that it's not without hard times, but Lord, we know also that you say that your grace is sufficient in our weakness. So Father, we don't boast about our strength, but we boast about our weaknesses because that's when you're elevated. That's where you're truly glorified because we can know that it's not based upon human strategy or our wisdom, but we simply proclaim the glory, the gospel, the person and work of, of your son, Jesus. So Father, we thank you. We give you honor. We give you glory because you're worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, I just really want to, I just want to share with you a little bit about our journey and then just talk about some of the things that really that I've seen on, um, on your, your mission statement because your mission statement is very similar to our. Our mission statement at Blueprint is simply this, unleashing healthy people to do ministry where life exists. And see, and the thing is talking about what is healthy. You know, we talked about that and I actually got a, I got a chance to share, but are going. So today, I want to focus in on the later half of doing ministry where life exists. Because when, on your mission statement, I saw and I, you know, and I read that showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life. You know, and so for many of us, we do well, especially in Bible-oriented churches, especially in places where we really want to see God glorified. We do well with showing off the glory of God, but the tension becomes in every area of our lives. We come to our worship gatherings and we're like, man, this is awesome. We come and it was just like, but somehow, how can we bottle this, this energy, this excitement, this passion for the Lord and apply it on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday? With all the pressures, with all the struggles, with all the things that's going on in life, how can we do that? You see, and this has been my attention. This has been the tension that we all wrestle with, you know, that we all have because it's like, that's what we know God because we say that we know that God is not boxed up into these four walls. But for some reason, we have a problem of translating it. We have a problem with translating it. And so in the midst of this all, and just to give you a little background of how I just really came to this and how this tension has resonated in my life, I wasn't raised in the church. My dad played pro football, so pretty much my God was football. On Sundays, we was watching him. God gave me a gift to play football, even before I knew, you know, God gave gifts like that. He gave me a gift to play, and so from early on in my life, I wanted to be like my dad, and I began to, you know, do that, play football. All the decisions in my life were based upon whether or not, because I wanted to go pro, just like my dad played. And so everything was based upon that. I came to know the Lord in college in 1995. Gave my life to the Lord. But in the midst of giving my life to the Lord, I really didn't know what it meant to be Christian. And so for the most part, I said, I just, I'll go to church. Because that's what it means to be Christian. Go to church. You know, and so in doing that, I did that. I went to church, but I ended up getting a scholarship to the University of North Texas. I ended up getting a scholarship to the University of North Texas, and I was playing there. And I remember on January 10th, I met a guy named Art Hooker. Art Hooker was, it was very significant in my life because he was the first person to introduce me to a group of believers that were my age that really were trying to live for the Lord. Because for the first time, people were really trying to show off the glory of Christ. And, and so as I was in, engaging with these people, what took place was, you know, they would go to different things. They was like... Um, 
they would talk about different stories like Samson and Delilah, David and, you know, I'm David and Goliath, Samson and Delilah. And it was like, and I was like, who are these cats? I had no frame of reference of who these people were because, I, like I said, I wasn't raised in the church. So what that, did, what that did was I said, I need to grow up. I need to catch up. I need to learn the word. And see, what God was doing is that he really de de developed a hunger for, for his word. So I would go to every study on campus, InterVarsity, Campus Crusade, whatever it was, I was there because I wanted to hear how, I wanted to hear about this God that I gave my life to, and I was excited. But it was in the midst of that that something happened, that I started learning about new terms that I didn't hear my boys and my people talking about in the study. These new terms was called evangelism and discipleship. And I was just like, I don't hear, like, I know my, 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 my people, they love the Lord, but for some reason, I'm not hearing these things because for them, Christianity was just the reactive thing. It was about don't go to the clubs, don't join the frat, don't do this, don't, don't, don't. And so for the first time, I heard that God has placed this here, not just to be reactive, but he placed us here to be proactive. That God has given us something actually to do. And in evangelism, so I did what every believer who's learning about God, you know, something new about the Lord. I just did. I was like, I wanted to invite my friends to it. But what took place was my friends wouldn't come. They wouldn't do it. And the reason why is because, like I said, I was going to any study. It didn't matter if it was white, black, Hispanic. I was there because I just wanted to grow in the Lord. And so at the time, we started a ministry on campus that, you know, that our goal was to be both culturally relevant but biblically sound and missionally engaged. So we did that. Fast forward, God gave that God graciously gave that favor. But in the midst of these things, I was so just like, so fanatical about evangelism, discipleship, making God known in, in college, where I was at in my context. But in the midst of doing that, you know, God took it and it eventually became a church in Denton, Texas. And we started a church. But as we were starting a church in Denton, Texas, something new took place. There was now a tension that we had. I saw people who was this on fire for the Lord, who was killing it for the Lord in college, now kind of dwindling off as they moved to career. And I was just like, what's happening? What's going on? And I was like, there's some type of shift that takes place from college and career. There's something that goes on in the midst of that. And so I just began, I really, I just began to do some research. What does this look like? And so today, because there's three components primarily when we talk about being a missional church, a church that is, you know, that is just really about the Lord. And one is just having a high view of the gospel, of the Christology. Just having a high view of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The other one is the covenant community where we come and we partake, what we call ecclesiology, the church, where we come for the purpose of gathering, for communion, for baptisms. And we come to gather for the mutual encouragement. And the last element is, is what we call the missional, the mission of the church. And so today, what I want to talk to us about is not simply the mission of the church, Big C corporate, but I want to talk about the mission of the individuals that make up the church. You see, because what we, we need more than just simply gospel-centered churches. We need gospel-centered Christians living their lives out, because that's the way true impact is going to take place in the city. Because if you look about the issues and the problems in a place like um, Atlanta or a place like Philly, 
that we get, the church can't start a program to, to engage all that. There's too many issues, but that's why God gathers the saints, and like you guys said, and scatters them out so that he can take, and we can do ministry where life exists, because God has given you a passion. And see, and there's one thing that I know is that you live in a place, you live in a context, and in that context that you live, that's outside of church, you have both believers, non-believers, you have family, you have lots of different things. So the question becomes is like, why would we try to do everything where it's all centered around the church and take you out of your natural context instead of equipping you to do ministry where life exists, equipping you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. But this tension comes. And so I just got a little slide right here just, just to kind of jog some of our, our thoughts about what is, you know, what is that tension between the college and the career that we have in let me see if I can work this thing. And I'll go backwards. All right, so we have the, you know, basically it's the college versus the career. And this is just really a process of like, Lord, what happens? You know, and, I, and one of the things that we look at, we talk about in college. What happens in college is the first thing in college you realize, one, it's okay to be poor. It's okay to be poor in college. It's like, like we brag about like our, how, many, how many different ways you can make top ramen. You know, you bag about, like, all the different types of things. Like, it's okay to be poor in college. You know, it's just like one of those things. So what takes place is now I get a job that's simply based upon my needs. Because I just want to make ends meet. Because, you know, I just got to pay my tuition. And I just, you know, I do what I do. And so we, we simply have a needs-based job. You know. So then what that does is that brings a dependence upon the community. Because, listen, I don't have enough to make ends meet all the time, so who's cooking this week? I'm going to her house. Who's, are you cooking next week? And we just go to different places, different houses, and it just builds like a true, authentic community that is based upon what's going on. And it, it, it brings a community dependence upon one another. So what happens is like you go to college because you're dreaming. You have this idealistic view. You, you know, a lot of people say we're too young to realize that we're not going to change the world. You know, but at some age, it's like you, like all that, the, the idealism just goes off, leaves you. And we're just like, I'm just going, you know, I'm okay with the status quo. But in college, this is what we're here for. We're ready to be the next generation to change the world. The next group. So, you're idealistic, you're dreamer, and you have the ability to become focused. You can be focused on the Lord. So, the other thing is, is that you're able, you're available you know, in college, you talk about, you know, doing college ministry. When someone says they want to get with you, that means, like, later on today or, like, next, you know, tomorrow or something, sometime this week. I mean, it's right on, right now. You know, because it's like, I'm, I ain't got nothing else to do. I just got to study. I really don't want to do that. So let's get it. You know, it's just like it's, it's all the time. And you have this ability. And, again, I'm painting with broad strokes. But this is just some of the things that I see in our ministry. And just on a practical, pragmatic level of what it like the tension that I've seen. You have the ability to be free to serve the Lord. You have this ability. All right? It doesn't always happen like that, but there's this ability. So what I took place is that something took place and something happens. It's uh, something that happens when we go from college and we get that diploma. There's a sense of entitlement. When we talk about American Christianity, there's a sense of entitlement that we now get. It's like, I put in all that work, so therefore it's now... 
you know, I'm, I'm deserving to get mine. And so it's not okay to be poor anymore. The top ramen stories are no longer funny. Like, the, like, it is like it's no longer funny for us to just show, you know, that it's okay. That's no longer, it's just like now we create this idea that I need, like I did all that so that I can get it. So you go from a needs-based job to now you're working a job from 40 to 60 hours a week. You don't have a job no more, you have a career. And you just can't get it in like you used to can get it in. And then you go from community to independence because that's, remember, that's the goal of American Christianity or Americanism. The, we, our, our country was um, declared on the Declaration of Independence. So that's the goal for, all, for Americans is that as we come in, if we can get financially independent from everybody, don't need anybody, and we can be financially, then we have reached the pinnacle of success. And that mindset has leaped, leaked into the culture, into Christianity. And so we have that same mindset in, and now independence is the greatest thing that we can achieve in our faith. And so because now we got this job, you know, we had to get our new car because we graduated, and that's our gift to ourselves, but you didn't know one told us that there's a car note to it and all those things. And so now we go from where we used to be idealistic and dream about all the potential possibilities, we're in maintenance mode. We're enslaved. All we're doing is trying to manage what we have. And so it goes from being focused to divided. Our attention, and this is what Paul was talking about. You know, one he was talking about in the context of marriage, but he also talks about, I think we can take that same principle, is that our focus now become divided between. He's like, it's better for you to be single because then you're, all your focus is on him. But now, not only if you get married, but now you also, you have all the other things that we just said that now has, is consuming us. And I, and I just heard so many times that after, if we had, you know, if I wasn't, you know, in debt or da 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 you know, I'll go on that mission trip. If I wasn't, I would, and it was always something, but they was in bondage to the lifestyle that they had. So what used to be available at the most, and this is the most committed people, they only can really give you four to six hours, and that's including church. And so we see this thing is just like, because I got this tension that we have. Sorry. And ultimately, we get in bondage to life. This bondage that we have, that we are no longer free to serve the Lord. We're no longer free to do all the things. Like, we're excited. We, we come in here. We sing with the same passion. We sing with the same vigor. We still love the Lord the same. But for some reason, now I'm not able to translate it. I'm not able to take it to the next level because as soon as I leave here, the world hits me back. And so this abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10 is not, is not translating. And so, so many times what I see as believers deal with this frustration and this tension. This, the question is, is how are we really to fulfill the Great Commission in the 21st century? How are we to do that? And I think the key word is availability. And again, this is from a pragmatic standpoint that I'm just talking about us and our tensions and our struggle. Because if we talk about, because remember, keep that image in your mind. We said the faithful Christian, like we're saying that in a career-oriented person is that they work four to six hours, they, give you God, but they can give you about four to six hours. Because the tension becomes that I've worked eight to ten hours on my job. And so now when I come home from my job, it's like, 
okay, you know, either I can go and be a, you know, a husband to my wife, a father to my kids, or I can go and be a part of the church's doing. You know, and so this is that tension. And again, this is, I'm, I'll just put in a 10-hour day. And they, say, and they tell us as believers that to be a faithful Christian, this is all the things that you need to do. Again, with, you only have four to six hours in college. It might not have seemed overwhelming. But now that I'm in a career, it does because you got to spend time with the Lord. you got to volunteer at a church. You know, you got to get involved in a ministry. you got to come to church, go to church events, conferences. you got the weekly meetings, the Bible studies. you got to get discipled, and you also know you got to be discipling someone else. you got to be accountable. you got to reach out, be evangelistic and reach out, you know, and also be in a small group. So it's just like all these things, it's like, oh, I'm coming home and I'm overwhelmed now. So what takes place is that I get so many times, I'm trying, constantly pushing men back to say, don't go to full-time ministry. Don't do full-time ministry because there's this disenfranchisement that takes place. Is that the only way in our current mindset to really um, serve the Lord is by doing it if I'm doing it full-time. Because the models and the methods that we currently have doesn't teach us and equip us to do ministry where life exists or to show off God's glory in every area. And so we face this tension. And the traditional response has been change your circumstances. Let's change our circumstances. The problem with this approach is that the culture is a powerful stream to fight against. It's a powerful stream. And then the other thing is that the grass is always greener. You know, it's interesting because as a pastor, like I'm always thinking about, Lord, I mean, I love what I do. I, I, I wouldn't do anything else. But sometimes, you know, I was just like, how can I be around more non-believers? And I think about going and, you know, coaching football or being in, you know, doing things that are in the job so I can be around more non-believers. But then I see Christian or Christians that are in, you know, amongst non-believers and all that. And they're always saying, I, you know, I just wonder, I can't wait till I get into full-time ministry. And so it's the, the grass is always greener on the other side because we just naturally, something in us, we always want what we don't have. And so this grass, the grass is always greener. And then the, the last one, it's this, it strains the family of even the most committed. And I truly believe that this is one of the primary reasons why our divorce rate is high. That our divorce rate amongst Christians is just as high as it is in the world. Because our, right now, what, what I've seen so many times is a person, a husband or a wife that's committed to the Lord and the other one is not, you know, he's, they're committed, but they have a different application point. One is like wanting to focus on the home and develop the home and get, and the other one wants to go out and do more ministry. And so you got this tension of always you need to go out, you need to, you know, constantly trying to motivate and equip. And then there's rifts in the home. You also got this, this person, this father, and we all know PK kids, the, the preacher's kids, who's, who comes in and they're always gone. Or the people who's most committed, it's like their, their family is neglected. Because they're trying to do the ministry in the current structure, in the current system that takes them away, that pulls from the family. And there's that tension. There's that tension. So we can either continue to fight against the culture or we can infiltrate the culture and do ministry where life exists. Do ministry where life exists. That was a long introduction to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Because this tension is not a tension that just started off here. This tension, what I'm talking about, a tension of frustration of 
being discontent in our current situation because, you know, a lot of times some of the people in college are like, yeah, it, it seems like that, but I don't got all that stuff in college. And I can't wait till I get into career because when I get in career, I'm a da-da-da-da-da. You know, and then people in career, we, you know, so many times you think about, they reflect back and they remember the glory years. Back when they were in college, when life was simple, when we didn't have all the extras stuff. And we create this tension that we have of creating that. But see, the same tension existed in the church of Corinth. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 17 through 24. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called, in a, called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition, each was called. There, let him remain in God. That we see right here, Paul is given a principle, and he says it in verse 17. He says, listen, this is something that I present before all the churches. And Paul is answering a question because there's some discontentment that's going on in the Corinthian church. You had a group of people who just got this newfound faith in the Lord. And they see how God has just been rocking them over and over again. And now they're doing this. It's like, Lord, I want to do this. I, I want to see people come to know the Lord. I want to see people raised up, discipled, trained, and all these things. You know, but then there's the, the issue is, is that there's a problem. My context. These are the things that's hindering me from him. So you had people in, in the Corinthian church, excuse me, you had some people who was like, all right, Lord, you know, you had some people who were not married, who wanted to be married because they felt like that was going to, you know, set it off for them. You had some people who wanted to be married who was just like, man, she's an unbeliever, so uh, technically we're not supposed to be married anyway, so, you know, and was trying to get out of it. And you, I mean, you just had these things, but it was basically a discontentment about the context that they were in. And so Paul gives them, he says, this is the rule that I give before all the churches. And let me just show it to you. And then I love it in the message. The way they describe it in the message, because it gives you just point blank. It says, don't be wishing you were someplace else or with somebody else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. What is that? Be content in your context. It goes on. Live and obey and love and believe right there. 
What is that? Just God is calling us to be Christian. Be Christian in your context. Right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than on the other churches, on the others. I give the same counsel in all the churches. See, right here, God is just simply telling the Corinthian church, a group of people who's frustrated with their current context and always asking for God to change their situation. You know, we've all been doing that. Like we said, you know, whether we don't got any money or anything like that, we was like, well, I, you know, I'm going I'm to get rich for the Lord. And once I get rich for the Lord, then I'm going you know, to give back to the church. And I'm going to, you know, it's just like we, God, like God needs our circumstances to change for us to do something for him. Or I can't wait till I get rid of this job. Because this job is hindering me from, you know, whatever it is, whether it be your marriage. And so this principle that Paul is talking about in the context of marriage, he's saying this principle, let me, excuse me, let me take this principle and apply it to all contexts. Listen, three things that he gives you in the front and he says, be content. The second one is be Christian. And the third one is Blossom where you're planted. Blossom where you're planted. Or we say, do ministry where life exists. And it's a simple message that we have. The first one that I want to hit on real quick, it says the, the idea of be content. That if you look, if you peruse through the, the, those, those eight verses, there's three times that Paul brings out this principle. And he says he wants you to get it. Don't miss it. In verse 17, he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. All right. If you go on down to verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 24. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. That you see these three elements right here. Of, um, of Paul reminded him in eight verses, be content in your circumstances. Don't try. God can use you where you are. Don't leave your job in order to come here. Don't, like, because God has given us a ministry where your life is. Don't leave the context. God needs to be glorified in your context. Because what happened in the 1920s when all the seminaries um, went liberal, in the early 1900s, most of the seminaries went liberal. What took place is that people who, want, who, had to, who wanted to maintain the integrity of the scriptures, who wanted to maintain gospel-centered and not water down the scriptures, what we did is we started to retreat. And we started forming our own seminaries, our own things. And so what happened was now what we did is our influence also left with us because we wanted to abstain from the world. We didn't want to be affected by them. And so where we kept our high view of Christ, we kept the covenant community, but we lost our mission. We lost the mission. And so if you look at the history of Christianity, Christianity has always been in the forefront of raising up hospitals, doing all those different types of things. Um, all your major institutions all started based upon that principle of raising up and training people so that they could ultimately read their word. But for some reason, we've retracted and we've said it's only about 
we won't say it, but it's only about what we do in these four walls because we don't want to be like them. We don't want to be touched by the world. And Paul rebukes him a few chapters earlier. He says, if you, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, if you try to abstain from the world, where are you going to go? You got to go to the mountains or something. And he's like, a monastic faith is not the faith that we're trying to be about. Christ is a, a God that incarnates, that goes, that comes, and, and engages culture. And so he says, be content in your circumstances. Look at how you can engage your circumstances and what takes place. And this is why I know that we're struggling in this area because many of us as believers, the only thing when we talk about you need to engage in your, um, on your job, you need to engage on your... The one thing that as believers, the one thing we always come to is what? Let's start a Bible study. Because that's the only context that we've seen it manifested. Because we, it was like, the only thing is so we've locked God in a box to say that we only, the only way to serve God is to teach a Bible study and to share with people. And so we just like really don't know, how can I really engage my job in a Christ-centered way? What does the gospel look like in my context? How can I manifest and show off God's glory where I am? You see, because there's freedom in that. Because now, and when I tell my people in, in Atlanta, I was like, listen, our ministry is you serving in where life exists. So now when you go home, we're not asking you to come to another event, another thing. We got a very simple church model for the purpose of unleashing you to engage the world. Our job as believers and as the church is to equip the saints for the ministry. And the ministry is where you are, where, it, where you, life is happening. So we no longer have to create it. And so now you can be a husband to your wife, a mother, a father to your kids. And we're not gonna, we're not, we don't want to compete with those things because your ministry is where you spent the 40 to 60 hours already. And how can we help encourage you and equip you to do ministry there? And that's our passion. That's what we want to do. But so we have to get people to stop thinking about, man, I just need to go full-time ministry because that's the only way I can really serve the Lord. No. God says, be content in your circumstances. Be content. But it goes on. And it talks about not only be content, but it just talks about be Christian. Understand your call. That in those, again, in those verses that you see eight times, eight times they mention the word call. And this is, simply means that the, the, the salvation, God calling you to, a, to himself, inviting you into the kingdom, and positioning you for the purpose to show off his glory. Position him for the purpose to do ministry where life exists. And he gives you that um, he gives you that in there, and he talks about it in verse 21. He says, were you, call, were you called, I mean, I'm sorry, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. 
we have this saying at Blueprint, we just, our underlying philosophy is that we believe the gospel changes people and people change the world. That that's the way God has set it up. He's chosen to use us as his ambassadors. As the way to infiltrate the culture. So as we go, we take him with us. But the problem is, is that many of us, we haven't really thought through what does the gospel mean? What does the gospel look like? We haven't thought deeply about the gospel in all areas, in all contexts. And so what takes place, again, we get frustrated with our context, but right here Paul is saying that your identity is all wrapped up in the gospel. The person and work of Jesus Christ who died for your sins, who rose and now has given you life resurrected, but in that you now have an identity. And your identity is what you should be no matter where you are. And we've heard it. It's the concept of being Christian. Stop waiting for your church, you know, stop waiting for circumstances to change. Stop waiting for you to get more money or more whatever. Just like use the context in which God has given you and be Christian. And just like the, um, the pastor said, live, obey, love, be and believe right there. Those things are not based upon where you are. Those things could happen in any context. And so this is what God has called us to be. Your, um, your calling to your Christian, your calling to being a Christian is more important than your call where God, your context that God has called you in life. It's not, see, God is just simply giving us a context. He's given us a context. And see, and if we really wrestle through the gospel and really understand the implications of it, one of the things that you recognize is if the same God who loved us enough to die on the cross for us, to send his son to die on the cross for our sins, then that's, I have to know that the gospel also tells me that same God is loving enough to put me in the context in which I need to be to show off his glory. And that's what it's about. It's about trusting in the sovereignty of God. That he's placed you there, he's placed you in your circumstance for a reason. But when you show a discontentment, always trying to do something better or different than where he's placed it, then you're not maximizing what God has called you to do. And you're not recognizing and understanding the call to be Christian. And so, in the last one, it just simply tells us to blossom where we're planted. Right there, if you look up at verse 16, we talked about their answering a question. In verse 16 of chapter 7, it says, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? Because this is in the context of just simply saying, I want to get out of my context. My wife is holding me back from being all that what God wants me to be. My husband is keeping me back from doing He says, no. Unbelieving or not, stay. Because we sung the song, right? Our God is mighty to save. You see, but the issue is that as Christians, we overestimate what we can do in a year. And we underestimate what we can do in five years. And we always are trying to get out of our context when God, how can we know what God is trying to do with us? Because we're always like, oh man, God must not be in this as soon as it doesn't go our way, and then we're always trying to find a new context. Well, really, God is saying, no, just simply remain faithful. Remain faithful. 
And through you, God will be able to do that. You see, because when we talk about the church, when we talk about coming together, you see, God has given us all responsibility to manifest him, to make him known. He hasn't just left it up to Pastor E and to the elder. He hasn't just left it up to them. He says, listen, it's the role of the body to represent him to the fullest. And stop trying to pond off stuff to the quote-unquote paid people. God has called all of us. But we have to understand our call. We have to understand that we need to be Christian in our context. We need to do ministry where life exists. I want to conclude just to bring that point home with Colossians. Flip over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. I'm not going to, we're not going to exposit this text. I just want you to see one thing that just brings about this point that God is calling. Like, we're talking about bringing people to, to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that this is not a one-person thing. That this is Paul talking about in the context of, in Colossians chapter 1, he says, listen, all things were created by him and for him. He's talking about Christ. And he says the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, that Jesus is, the, is our, both our perfect example of who God is. And he's also a model and a, and a demonstration of who we are. But he says, he says, as we carry on, as we, so on, oh, as we finish the family business, there's a certain method, there's a certain way that this is God is not calling one singularly, but he's calling us, plurally, the church, the mission of the church. In verse 24, he says, and I want you to listen, look at this. What I really want you to focus on is the first person singular and the first person plural. All right? First person singular basically means, first person singular is I, you know. First person plural, we, those types of us, those types of things. So just look at that. And that's what I want to focus on. Verse 24 in Colossians chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for, you, for your sake. In my flesh, I am lifting up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. So Paul is setting it up. This is Paul talking. And he says, for the sake of the church, and Paul is really referring to himself. I do I for the sake of the church. All right? Verse 25. Of which of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for, for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, of, the, glory of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So right here, Paul was just talking about both in evangelism and discipleship. He has a role. He has a purpose of what he's doing. But I know when I want you to check on, in verse 28 that the, the, it changes from a first person singular to a first person plural. And if the goal is to bring people into maturity in Christ, look at now the focus. And it says in verse 28, him, meaning Christ, a high view of the person and work of Christ, we proclaim. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
And just in case by you think that that was by accident that he switched that per the first person, you know, from singular to plural, he goes back to the first person in verse 29. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy and powerfully what works within me. Paul recognizes that he plays a part, but he doesn't play the whole part. The goal is to bring people to maturity in Christ. That's something that we must do. Not one man singular. God has called all of us to do ministry where life exists. God has called all of us to show off his glory wherever, wherever we are. I pray that we as churches would not only lead the charge and be a part of just showing off God's glory in a corporate church sense, but that we will be sending out laborers that are gospel-centered in their lives and that we can recapture what it means to lead the charge with a, a biblical worldview in our workplace. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what God has called us to be, to incarnate. And I just dream about a day that we have, especially here in Epiphany, and as you grow, you have 400, 500, 1,000 people unleashed into the city of Philadelphia with the mindset to take Christ and to show off his glory intentionally, not as it's a secondary thing that I can't wait till I get off work so I can go do ministry, but I'm here doing ministry. Think about the city of Philadelphia, people equipped and encouraged to show off his glory for real in the context in which God has placed them. But we got to get over this discontentment. And we got to blossom where we're planted and show off his glory. Let's pray. Father, we do just want to thank you. We want to give you honor. We want to give you glory because you're worthy. Lord, we need you. Father, because we can make this declaration here, but we still have the, the, the hard grind of doing it out there. I pray, Lord, that in the midst that we would just come and say that we're weak in this area. It looks good on our mission statements. It looks good, and, you know, but we really don't know how to do it because we haven't seen models and examples. But, Lord, the model and example that we need is you. And you demonstrated for us in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray that we would be Christian, we would be Christ-like, and we would show off your glory in every area of our lives. And at the end, Father, we'll always do our best to give all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.